0: Through the storm and through the fire, Christ is with us. Amen. What a great song for us to sing before we go back to our study in the Book of Philippians. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Philippians chapter four. We're going to dive back into this, um, what I consider to be the one of the most um, powerful and practical passages in the entire letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and. I'm referring to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and we've been uh, looking at this passage here for now the last few weeks, and Lord willing, we'll finish it up this morning. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, and let me read uh, the passage again just to set it in our minds and our hearts. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we thank you that we can come to the God of peace, this morning. And no matter what we experience in life, no matter what fires, what storms are swirling around us at any given point in our lives, that we can always come into your presence through prayer and find perfect peace. Thank you for the promises in this passage, Lord, that you will grant us peace, a peace that is really beyond... uh, our ability to understand or to articulate to, to others. We need this peace. We long for this peace in a, in a chaotic, hectic world filled with trials and tribulations. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand what Paul was saying here in this text. And more importantly, help us learn how to apply these principles to our lives because they're so practical, they're so Helpful. And so I pray that uh, your spirit would move amongst us this morning and, and accomplish his work in our lives, we pray. Equip us, Lord, that we might be, live lives that are more pleasing to you. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've all heard that familiar, familiar expression, you are what you eat. You're like, you just had to go there, didn't you, Kat? What do we mean by that statement, you are what you eat? Well, in other words, the kinds of food we consume dictate how we look and how we feel. Healthy eating leads to healthy living. Unhealthy eating leads to unhealthy living. And therefore, we must control or monitor what goes into our mouths. Well, it's equally true that you are what you think. You are what you think. We don't think about that as... As often as we do the thought of you are what you eat, but it's equally true and even more important to understand that you are what you think. In other words, the kinds of thoughts that we contemplate dictate how we live and how we feel. Godly thinking leads to godly living. Ungodly thinking leads to ungodly living. And Therefore, we must control or monitor what goes on in our minds. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Did you hear that? Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. In other words, what you think is who you are. And every mature believer knows that the Christian life is mainly mental. What goes on in our minds inevitably comes out in our lives and the battle against every sin in our lives is won or lost where? In the mind. And that includes the sin of worry and anxiety. Look at a few verses with me that 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 emphasize the important role that the mind plays in our lives as Christians. Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22 verse 37. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Mind. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so when we are tempted to speculate, to think, what if, right? This might happen, this could happen. Anything that raises itself up against, any thought that raises itself up against what we know to be true about God, we are to take that thought captive and make it obey Christ. Sometimes our thoughts take us captive, don't they? And the Bible says we need to reverse that and, and take our thoughts captive and and instead of obeying our thoughts, we need to make our thoughts obey us, ultimately obey Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, Paul says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Again, the, the, the sanctification process is what he's referring to there in Ephesians chapter 4. That's the context. And so where does that change? sanctification process primarily works itself out. It works itself out in our minds, in our hearts. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If we've been raised up with Christ and seated with Christ at the right hand of God, we should keep seeking the things above. That's where our mind should be focused. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 verse 13 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 Therefore prepare your minds for action keep sober in spirit fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So where does the the pursuit of holiness begin? It starts by preparing our minds for action or in one translation it says, to gird up your minds for action. In other words, pull up all the loose Ends of your mind. The, the idea of girding up your 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 skirt, if you will, or your robe. Uh, you would pull up all the loose ends and you tie it into a into your belt. So, so you wouldn't get tripped up as you go to war. So he's saying, gird up your minds, pull up all the loose thoughts that are just bouncing around in your head, and and, and again, take them captive and 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 make them obey Christ. And here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We have a classic verse about the mind and our thought life. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of, of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on or think about these things. And again, this is in the context of peace. And so really this peace that, that Paul has been talking about here. Uh, in this passage, is, is an inner peace. It's, it's what we refer to as peace of mind. Which, if you look up a definition of peace of mind, it's, it's the absence of mental stress or anxiety. Another definition is a feeling of being safe or protected. How ironic, in light of what he says in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard, protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We use the expression peace of mind in statements like this. Well, you know, if I install a security system in my home, it will give me greater peace of mind. That's one way that the world suggests that you can achieve, experience, enjoy peace of mind, this inner peace. And, 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 and as you know, the world suggests all sorts of ways to experience peace of mind. I just, again, did a little quick Google search Uh, typed in peace of mind, the first thing that came up, the first website, the very top of the list was tinybuddha.com. I thought, that's interesting. And it had this title, 40 Ways to Create Peace of Mind. I thought, okay, I'm going to check this out. Let me read for you a few of the suggestions of how you can uh, create peace of mind. Take a meditative walk, focusing solely on the physical sensations of walking, the earth under your feet, the swing of your hips. Uh, here's another one. Practice alternative. Or, oh, excuse me. Practice alternate nostril breathing. Hold the nef- n- the left nostril down. Inhale through the right. Then hold your hold your breath. Release the left nostril. Hold the right one down. Exhale through the left. Now start on the left with inhalation. Exhaling on the right. This is one set. Do up to five of these sets. Now well, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is like create a peace collage. Include images that make you feel relaxed and at ease. Declutter a cluttered part of your home, creating a more peaceful space. This is, I think, my favorite. Schedule a date with yourself. <laughs> a time when you don't need to meet anyone else's requests or expectations. Do something that, feels, that, that feeds your mind and spirit. Go to a museum or take yourself to your favorite restaurant and simply enjoy your own company. Can I just say that's awkward, okay? <laughs> I feel awkward when I'm at a restaurant by myself, just so you know. I'm like, okay, this is awkward. I'm gonna do this, for, eat really fast, and like, I feel like I need to be engaged with somebody, having a conversation with somebody. Um, how about this one? Get up and dance to your favorite song, focusing solely on the music and the movement. Get into your body and get out of your head. How ironic. Here's some advice that takes us diametrically away from what the scripture tells us that it is all about our head. They're saying, get out of your head. Forget about it, right? It doesn't have anything to do with your head. Your head's your problem. No, the head's the answer. The head's the solution. And so here in this passage, Paul provided for us biblical ways to achieve peace of mind, which are vastly different from, from the wacky ways that the world suggests Uh, to experience peace of mind. And again, we're talking about this peace of God, verse 7, that is granted to us by the God of peace, verse 9. And so in order for us to enjoy these promises of peace, we need to obey the principles of peace that Paul laid out in this text. And we said this uh, in the previous weeks, that in verses 4 through 9, there are six imperatives All of them but one are in the present tense, which indicates that that these are commands. These aren't just good suggestions. These are commands that we must follow on a regular basis, that we should develop habits of doing these things, of of thinking a certain way, of acting a certain way, of talking a certain way, of responding to people a certain way. And so like a, a skilled spiritual physician here, Paul provided the Philippians, and us with a prescription for peace. And there are five steps in his treatment plan that, if carefully followed, will alleviate all of our fears, all of our anxieties, along with all of our guilt and shame. And uh, because we've taken a, a couple weeks off here, I wanted to just uh, quickly review um, these uh, the first three points that we've looked at so far and then finish up today with the last two points. And so the first step is to be joyful all the time. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, just in case you missed it and think I'm crazy, I'm going to tell you again, rejoice. And so Paul's commanding us here to, to, to be joyful all the time, regardless of what, how we're feeling uh, or, or what we're facing Joy is not a mood. It's not an emotion that's based on our feelings, our circumstances, our our surroundings. It's an attitude that we can control. It's a choice that we can make. And the secret here to maintaining a joyful attitude at all times is that simple phrase what? We said it. Verse 4 In who? The Lord. We're not supposed to rejoice in our circumstances or rejoice in our trials, our difficulties. No, he's saying to rejoice in the Lord. In other words, biblical joy is based on what we know to be true about God, and so no matter how awful things might be around you, there's always something wonderful about God that you can rejoice in, starting with your salvation and beyond. We should rejoice in all that God has revealed about himself and his word, his goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, his love, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his justice. And the more we know God, the more peace we'll experience. And if if you struggle with anxiety and worry and guilt and shame, it it may really just come down to that you need to get to know God better, because you can't trust in someone you don't know. And, And it's easier to trust God when you know more about Him. And the good news is, if our joy is in the Lord, then no matter what happens to us, shouldn't change anything, right? Because God's never changing if your joys in your circumstances, those are always changing, right? But if your joys in the Lord, it never changes. And so we need to rejoice uh, and be joyful all the time. Secondly, we need to treat everyone graciously. We need to treat everyone graciously. And uh Verse 5, I told you, was a a verse that never seemed to fit in my mind here in this passage. It it was the one that I quickly breezed over and didn't think much of. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. But as, as I thought about this and as I studied this and as I tried to put it into practice in my own life, I realized that one of the things that has the potential to cause stress in our lives or make us anxious or nervous or frustrate us or disturb us or agitate us or rile us up is is other people, particularly what they say to us or do to us or what they don't say or they don't do, and oftentimes we're in situations, whether it's in our home or at work or at school or in some other social setting where we're required to interact with people where we're not quite sure what they think of us, and, and maybe we've had a falling out with them in the past, and, and or they, maybe there's been some hurtful things said or done, and and, and and this could be a very awkward, unsettling experience where you lack peace, right? Unless you keep in mind and follow this simple command To be gentle to all men. To to be sweet and reasonable and to give up your personal rights and don't insist on getting your way and just overlooking other people's faults and and, and failures and and, and just having a humble forbearing spirit, not harboring bitterness or ill feelings in your heart towards others. Just not, not getting worked up about people when they wrong you. Or defraud you. You don't seek to get even with them. But we need to learn to respond like Christ did. That while being reviled, he did not what? Revile in return. He just entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. And what helps in this is to know that the Lord is near. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And, and I think Paul was referring that, to the fact that the Lord is near in both space and time. In other words, he's present at all times and in all places. He's omnipresent, but he's also near in his coming, that his coming is imminent. And I think the more we focus on on God's omnipresence and the imminency of the Lord's return, the the more peace we'll experience. And I think the immediate context here pushes us towards this, this idea, the Lord is near, that this is the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, Paul's talked a lot about the return of Christ in this this letter already. And so it should settle our hearts and our minds to know Christ is coming back soon to judge the earth and we will be vindicated or delivered from whatever adverse treatment or circumstances we might be facing. And so we need to to learn to treat everyone graciously. And then thirdly, we need to worry about nothing and pray about everything. We need to worry about nothing and pray about everything. And this is probably the most well-known Uh, Portion of this passage verses 6 and 7 be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ so Paul makes it very clear we are to not worry about anything and it's a command by the way and so when we worry what are we doing we're disobeying a clear command of scripture which means that worry is what sin. And ultimately, when we're worrying, we're not what? We're not trusting God. And so how do we demonstrate our trust and dependence on God? Primarily, we do it through prayer. And so he says in everything by prayer and supplication, instead of worrying about things, you should pray about things and pray with thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for this opportunity to trust him and thanking him for uh, uh, the, the fact that you know that He works all things together for good to those who love Him or are called according to His purpose. Thank Him for being faithful to you in the past and thank Him for the present blessings in your life. Thank Him in advance that He's going to hear and answer your prayers. And when you do that, when you turn your cares into prayers, then it says the peace of God, this inner tranquility, this serenity um, will come as you walk closely with God and rely on Him to take care of your needs, you have this peace that surpasses all comprehension. In other words, people can't understand how can you be so okay with this? How can you be at peace in this horrific situation that you're in? This awful tragedy you're facing, how can you be at rest? In fact, when you try to explain it, you can't even explain it. It's, it's surprising even to you That you can be at rest and peace in the midst of the chaos and the storm that you're facing, but this is this is an answer to our prayers because it says the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what is what is what is God is doing this? God is guarding your heart and mind from being restless, from being stressed out, from freaking out, right? from having an anxiety attack, right? God God is guarding your heart and your mind in Christ. Just like a Roman soldier assigned to guard a particular person or or place, that that God's peace guards our heart and our mind against phobias and fears and despair. And again, he protects us. He keeps us safe from attacks, anxiety attacks and, and other things we've talked about. So the more we pray, the more peace we'll experience. And so the principle is worry about nothing, pray about everything. And then we come to the fourth principle here, and this is new. And so we'll camp out on this for a little while. Verse eight, think only about the right things. Think only about the right things. You want to experience peace in your life. One of the keys is to think only about the right things. Notice verse eight. Finally, brethren, so here Paul is giving his closing advice, his counsel, and and it, and it has to do with the thought life of a Christian. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things or let your mind dwell on these things. And so as I stated earlier, we are what we think. And what goes on in our minds will come out in our lives. And so the key to godly living is godly thinking. And if you want to live right, you want to feel right, then you need to think right. You need to think about the right kinds of things. This is such a basic principle I, I, I talk about with people oftentimes in counseling that, that they're, they're not feeling good. They're having bad feelings in their life. Things aren't going well and they're really struggling with what, whatever circumstance they're in. So what, let's go back and, and, and figure out, let's forget about the feelings for a second and let's go back to what you're thinking. Because oftentimes the reason why you're feeling this way is you're not acting the right way. So you're feeling wrong because you're acting wrong. And your wrong feelings are simply a result of wrong actions. Well, even that's not deep enough. You have to go back to why are you acting wrong? Well, because you're thinking wrong. So right thinking leads to right acting, right living, and right living leads to right feeling. And so what are we to think about? Let's go back to this right thinking area. What are we supposed to think about? Well, Paul listed here eight godly virtues that we're to concentrate on, that we're to dwell on. He said, first of all, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is valid, whatever is reliable, whatever is honest, whatever is genuine, whatever is real. In other words, if it it hasn't happened yet, then it's not what? It's not true. If it hasn't happened yet, it's not true. And if it's not true, what does he say? Then don't dwell on it. And, and, and this, I mean, we could just close in prayer after this, whatever is right, because this is where we tend to go off in our minds, right, into speculating about the future, wondering what could happen, what might happen, what's not going to happen, what if, and that just, just robs us of peace and joy. We, we tend to blow things up in our minds by, by jumping to conclusions or making some mountain out of a molehill. We're always imagining the worst case scenario. And Paul's saying, don't engage in in any of these draining, negative mind games that we play. If it's not true, don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. Don't entertain the thought. If it's not true, forget about it. He goes on, whatever is honorable, in other words, it's not trivial, it's not temporal, it's not mundane, it's it's noble, it's morally attractive, it's worthy of respect. This was uh, this word honorable was used to describe the dignified lifestyle of of, of deacons and deaconesses in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 8 and also the, the, the dignified lifestyle of an older man uh, in, in Titus chapter 2 verse 2. So what we think about should be honorable. Whatever is right it's the next thing he says here, whatever is right in other words, it's, it's just, it's righteous, it conforms to the standards of God's word, it, it meets with God's approval. God approves of what you're thinking about. Whatever is pure. In other words, what is holy, what is wholesome, what is undefiled, it's, it's free from sin and, and impurity. Whatever is lovely, that which is admirable or agreeable, to behold or consider it. It's what wins others' admiration and affection. That which brings people together rather than dividing them. It, it, these are the things that promote peace and harmony rather than conflict. These are the lovely things. Whatever is of good repute, it says, or good report. In other words, again, it's the, that which is admirable, what, what is positive or, or constructive rather than, than, than negative and destructive. If there's any excellence In other words, is it it excellent? Is is, is there moral excellence here in what you're thinking? Is Is it what is best? Should you really be thinking about these things? If there's anything worthy of praise. In other words, these are things to be commended, things to be applauded. Paul says these are all the kinds of things that you are to dwell on. To dwell on. That word dwell is the word for think, to think. And and the root word uh, is where we get our English word logarithm. For those of you who are into math, right? Logarithm, uh, it's a math problem that that requires sustained concentration to figure out. That's the whole idea, is is you need to concentrate, you need to focus. And if anything doesn't fit under one of those eight categories then you shouldn't focus on it. You shouldn't be thinking about it. You should get it out of your mind. You shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, dwell on it. If you remember uh, a couple or last message in this series, we looked back at Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus told his disciples to not be anxious about what they were To eat or to drink or what they were going to wear? Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, he said, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his uh, studies on the Sermon on the Mount, has a profound section in, 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 in that where he points out that the disciples' problem here that Jesus was addressing was that they failed to think. Their little faith demonstrated that they allowed themselves to be controlled by their circumstances. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, faith, according to our Lord's teaching in this paragraph, is primarily thinking. He's getting them to think. Look, look at the consider the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. He's he's saying, hey, think about this for a second. He says, "The, the whole trouble with a man of little faith is that he does not think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. That is the real difficulty in life. Life comes to us with a club in its hand and strikes us upon the head, and we become incapable of thought, helpless and defeated. The way to avoid that is to think. Christian faith is essentially thinking. The trouble with most people, however, is they will not think. Instead of doing this, they sit down and ask, what is going to happen to me? What can I do? That is the absence of thought. It is surrender. It is defeat. Our Lord here is urging us to think and to think in a Christian manner. He says that's the very essence of faith. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense. The trouble with a person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else, and he goes round and round in circles. That is the essence of worry. That is not thought. That is the absence of thought, a failure to think. And so the more we think about what is right and the right kinds of things that Paul outlines here, the more peace we'll enjoy. In other words, we need to control what we think about. That's what we're saying here. Let your mind dwell on these things. In other words, you can make a choice. You can either dwell on these things or you can dwell on these things. And the key to having peace is, is controlling what you think about. You say, Well, man, I, I can't help it. Sometimes I just these thoughts just pop into my head and and, and and it's not my fault. I agree, I get those thoughts too. Martin Luther said it so well. He said you can't keep birds from landing on your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. So you think about that, right? Sometimes thoughts will come out of nowhere. You'll be like sitting there in, in, in your living room, minding your own business, reading a book, or driving down the road, and all of a sudden this thought, this evil, wicked, impure, whatever, jealous, greedy, w- sinful thought comes racing, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And at that moment, you have a choice to make. Are you going to let that... Yeah, the, the bird may have landed on your head. It's not your fault, Right? But what do you do when that bird lands, right? Hopefully you start batting it away, right? Get out, shoo it away. And, and that's what we need to do is learn to take every thought captive. And if a wrong thought comes into our mind, we need to immediately replace it with another thought. You may remember I've, I've done this in the past. I've used this illustration in the past, but, but I think it, it's helpful, to, to, to show you what I 'm talking about and what this passage is, is, is referring to, how, how practical it is, uh, i 'm sure that none of you came in here this morning thinking about pink elephants. Now what are you thinking about? you 're thinking about pink elephants. Okay, so stop thinking about pink elephants. You guys, I, I see you 're still thinking about pink elephants. Quit it. Stop thinking about pink elephants. See, it's, it's, right, this thought comes in here, like pink elephants, all I can see is a big fat elephant, he's pink right in front of me. What's the way to stop thinking about pink elephants? How about look, thinking of a green giraffe, or a blue zebra, or something else? The point is, hey, if same thing, if I say, hey, everybody think about the number eight, I want everybody to think about the number eight right now, everybody got the number eight right there, forefront of your mind, the number eight, everybody's thinking about the number eight, okay, stop thinking about the number eight. Sometimes it's like, I can't stop thinking about it. It's like right there. I can't get it out of my mind. Well, how do you do? You start thinking about the number three or the number 35 or something different. In other words, you're replacing your thoughts. You can't entertain evil thoughts when you're you're meditating on God and his word. And so one of the best ways to... To, to take a thought captive is to quote a, a verse, so some, some sinful thought comes into our minds. Hopefully you 've got an arsenal of verses that you 've memorized over the years, and, and, and the spirit of God can go to the, and grab his sword, go, go to his sword closet, pull out the sword that most uh, applies to that particular sinful thought, and he can address it. He can attack it. Or maybe you turn that evil thought into a prayer. And ask the Lord to forgive you for even thinking that thought and, and, and to think pure thoughts. Ask him to help you think holy thoughts and pure thoughts and right thoughts. So the word and prayer are key weapons in this battle for the mind. Psalm 119 verse 165, those who love your law have great peace. We need to let the the peace of Christ rule in our heart. We need to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Romans chapter eight, verse six, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And as I mentioned in the the first message in this series, the most important thing we we need to keep our minds focused on in order to experience peace of mind is God. Who never changes. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is what? Remember? Stayed on you. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So when some thought comes into your mind, it may be an anxious thought. You need to replace that anxious thought with maybe the one attribute of God that you, if you trust in, will alleviate that fear, that anxiety, whatever it is. God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's love, His mercy, His grace, His justice, His faithfulness. And keep focusing, keep your mind focused on that particular attribute of God because you can't be anxious and worrying when you have that thought of God in your mind. So again, Paul's saying here, you need to to think only of the right kinds of things. Think only the right things. And that will lead to peace. Learn how to control what you think about, what you dwell on. And if it's not pleasing to God, don't think about it. And then lastly, he says here in verse 9, always do what you know is right. Always do what you know is right. Verse 9, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul once again holds himself up as a model for the believers in Philippi to follow. Back in chapter 3, verse 17, he said, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. This was typical of Paul in his letters in 1 Corinthians two times. He said to, to follow me as I follow Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul talks about how he left them an example to follow. Uh, even Peter, in, in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, ex- exhorted elders uh, to not lorded over those who were entrusted uh, to their charge but proved to be examples to the flock. This was important back then, especially because in the early days of the church, the, before scripture was, was completed and, or, or widely circulated, the beliefs and the behaviors of Christianity were passed on through the words and the examples of the apostles. And those who sat under Paul's ministry learned what it meant to be a Christian by listening to him preach but also watching his life. And he practiced what he preached. And Paul is a good example of, for any of us who, who are in a position of spiritual leadership. He not only taught people God's word, but he also lived it out in front of them. There was no, no credibility gap between what he preached and, and how he lived. I've got a little statement I printed out and I put, put above my desk that I look, look at from time to time. It says this, quote, the most important characteristic of a godly leader is a life worth imitating. The most important characteristic of a godly leader is a life worth imitating. By the way, dads, that's a great reminder for all of us, right? The most important characteristic of a godly leader, which hopefully that's what we're striving to be, is a life worth imitating. Our kids will learn far more from watching us live our lives than they ever will by what comes out of our mouth. So it's not so much what you're telling them, it's what you're showing them by the way you live. This is the easy part, by the way. Getting up here and, and, and preaching a message, that's the easy part. It's, it's um, and, and some people joke, right, about Pastor, is a great, great gig, man. You just have to work one day a week. I, I introduced myself to a guy one time and I said I was a pastor and, and, and I just kind of joked him, yeah, so I only have to work one day a week and I kind of beat him to the punch, right? Because you know, I figured that was coming eventually. I said, yeah, I just have to work one day a week. Oh, you know, he says, yeah, but you have to behave yourself the other six. And I thought, that's good, I'm going to remember that. Because that's true, right? This is the easy part. Anybody can get up here and preach a message, but it's harder to model that message, to live that message out in your own life. But by the grace of God, Paul had done that. And so he could say, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Dads, okay, this is Father's Day. I'm just applying this to us today. Could you say to your kids, whatever you have heard me say or seen me do, you can say and do, do as well. that's, That's how you know. That's a good check to see if you're living a godly life, an exemplary life. Can you honestly say to your kids, whatever you see me do, whatever you hear come out of my mouth, you can say you can do yourself. Paul could say that. And so he was exhorting the Philippians here to do everything they had heard him say or had seen him do. In other words... Put into practice everything I've taught you. Obey the things that, that that I've instructed you. And when we don't do what we have been taught to do, we, we, when we don't do what we know is the right thing to do, what happens? Do we experience peace of mind? No, there's guilt, there's shame, there's fear. Why? Because we know we've done something wrong. So there's a lack of peace. But Paul says, listen, if you just do the right thing, if you just practice the things I've taught you, then notice the God of peace will be with you. Paul's simply saying, listen, if you follow my example and and live a life of obedience like I have, you will experience the peace of God. And this was a common description of God in Paul's letters. The God of peace will be with you. It was a way, a, a, a way he commonly concluded a letter, kind of as a, as a parting encouragement. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, he says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Second Thessalonians 3:16, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Hebrews 13, 20, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great reminder that what Paul is telling us to do here is humanly impossible. This list of of five principles to follow in order to experience God's peace. We can't do this apart from Christ. And so Paul and the other writers of the New Testament were reminding us, hey, this is, this is ultimately a work of the God of peace in our lives. That we need to pray and, 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 and live in dependence upon him that he would equip us to do this, that he would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory forever and ever. The fact that Paul closes verse 9 with this phrase, and the God of peace will be with you, to me just ties this whole passage together. You can just see how it it all goes together. In fact, we we just really focused on verses 4 through 9, but it really starts in verse 1. Because the, the whole subject matter of this, of this text is peace. The context is peace. And there was no peace between Yodi and Sintiki, was there? And so you could add, a, a, I guess, a, a, a first point. We, we took that on its own and had a kind of a standalone message about how to resolve conflict. But that could be actually the sixth point or the first point of six. And you could just simply say you need to resolve conflict with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you want to have peace, right, you want to have the peace of God, you need to be at peace with one another. You can't have peace, the peace of God if you're not at peace with one another. But notice, and I've run through this passage so many times, I've gotten so much mileage out of this passage, not only in my own life, but in, in, in a situation where I've had the privilege of counseling people who are, who are just overwhelmed with the situation that they're in, they're 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 battling with anxiety and fear, and and, and uh, they're 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 um, depressed. They're they're guilty. But notice how this all goes together. Well, what do you have to do if you if you want to experience peace? Well, first of all, you need to rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, you need to let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In other words, be gracious to the people in your life. You need to be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding, right, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And even though there might be a break there in your Bibles and say, okay, that was it. It's all about just rejoicing and being gracious and, and, um, and, 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 uh, and praying. Well, but, but it goes on. It's, it's connected because of what he says at the end of verse 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. In other words, what happens is we will say, okay, I got to get my heart right. And, and I got to rejoice in this situation and, and ultimately not in this situation, but in the Lord. And I need to deal with my attitude towards individuals who may be causing me a lack of peace or frustration. I need to not be anxious. I need to pray. And so you do that. And you're like, good, I prayed. I asked the Lord to take this burden uh, from me. And, uh, and so you, you tend to, uh, what, what happens? You, you say amen and you go on with your day. What do you start doing? You start thinking about it again. Right? You take it with you. Instead of leaving it there with the Lord in his presence, you bring it with you and you begin to dwell on it again. And and that's why I think this is the follow-up, verse eight, is hey, stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about all those negative thoughts and and, and those things that those anxious thoughts. You know, make sure you after you've prayed about it, that you keep your mind dwelling on the right kinds of things. And that's not enough because verse 9 says, and oh, by the way, it's not enough just to think about the right kind of things. You also need to be doing the right kind of things. In other words, while you're waiting for an answer to your prayer, in the midst of the situation, you don't know what else to do, just make sure you're doing the right things. Just, Just obey. Just live a life of obedience. Just be faithful to put into practice the things you've learned, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul still has peace on his mind here in verses 8 and 9. So all this goes together. And so when all these exhortations are are heeded, God's peace will flood your troubled soul and he will draw near to you in the midst of the storms that may be raging all around you. Again, I said this in the first message. Peace isn't the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Christ. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In other words, Jesus was promising his disciples, his followers, that's us here this morning, right, a different kind of peace than the world offers. What's the peace that the world offers? The peace that the world offers is, hey, you know what, you just need to get away from it all. Right, You need to go on vacation, you need to escape all your problems, troubles, pressures, demands, pains, difficulties. Just, just, you need to relax, you need to unwind, you need to decompress. And so you need to go, um, go to a placid lake in the mountains or go to a pristine beach along the coast. And so we all pack up and we go on vacations, Right? Which, by the way, is nothing wrong with going on a vacation in the the mountains or at the beach, but we need to realize that the peace we experience there in those serene settings is superficial and temporal, whereas Jesus offers us a supernatural, eternal peace that we can enjoy all the time, regardless of where we are or what's happening in our lives. Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. You can't escape that even on vacation, but take courage, I've overcome the world, amen? And so because of who Christ is and what he has done for us on the cross, we can experience peace in our hearts and our minds, even in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations of life. I came across a story that I think brilliantly illustrates the principles that Paul's talking about here in Philippians 4. Let me read it for you as I close. A number of years ago, a very rich man wanted a painting that would portray peace. He commissioned three artists to paint peaceful scenarios. After a month, the artists returned with their paintings completed. Each painting was placed in the foyer of the rich man's home, covered by a veil waiting the moment of revelation. The first artist unveiled his painting of a beautiful mountain scene. The mountains were covered with green aspens and spring flowers and the snow-capped majestic peaks rose up to meet a blue cloudless sky. The rich man said, "I like it. This mountain scene is indeed peaceful." Then the second artist removed the cloth veil dropped over draped over his masterpiece. His painting was of a beautiful ocean view. The sand was crystal white, the sea was blue and tranquil, the sun was always, or excuse me, the sun was slowly setting in the sky as its reflection danced across the placid sea. In the center of the picture were two people relaxing in lawn chairs at sea's edge, their feet dangling in the water. The rich man was delighted. He said, I love the beach. I love this. What a splendid portrayal of peace. The third artist reluctantly pulled the veil from his painting, and the rich man looked with puzzlement. The artist had painted a waterfall scene. In this scene, a raging river was falling hundreds of feet, crashing on the rocks below. The rich man said, how how is this peaceful? I've stood beside a waterfall, and it's anything but peaceful. The sound of the water is deafening. All all I see is turbulence. Where's the peace? Then the third artist said, look closer, sir. Notice I painted the waterfall from the side. Look closely under the fall behind the water, and you'll see a cleft in the rock. Do you see it? Leaning forward, the rich man replied, yes, I see it. And I also see a bird perched in that cleft. The artist responded, that's it, sir. That's peace. In the midst of the noisy turbulence, the bird has found a peaceful place. That, my friend, is real peace. The ability to find peace in the midst of a troubled chaos. The author of that commentary concluded with these words. He said, very seldom do we, in the midst of stressful relationships and undaunting demands, get to escape to the peaceful mountains or tranquil sea. Like the waterfall scene, most of life is lived in the middle of noise, rushing activity, turbulence, chaos, with things crashing down all around us. This realistic painting of peace brings good news. In the midst of trouble, Jesus is the cleft in the rock. We can find peace in him. He is the shelter in the midst of the storm. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is not circumstantial bliss or life without a hitch. Rather, peace is the presence of Christ in our lives. When we come to Christ in the midst of troubling relationships and dilemmas, we find both the peace of God as well as the God of peace. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Peter comparably said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As you perch in the cleft of the rock, as you abide in Christ, may you in the midst of chaos and worry enjoy the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Always remember, joy comes in the midst of worry and stress through the person and peace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Peace isn't the absence of trouble, it's the presence of Christ in our lives. I would ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would, they would understand this morning that, that he's what they're lacking in life. He's the only hope for them to ever experience any kind of peace in this world this chaotic, hectic, troublesome, trial-filled world that we live. And that they would want to come to Christ and, 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 and cling to him as their rock and, and hide in him as their cleft. Lord, I pray that you would grant us grace to implement these principles into our lives. Lord, these are things that we've got to be thinking about and and doing every day. And not just daily, but hourly. Because we know, know, Lord, life just uh, comes at us uh, all at once from all sorts of different directions. And we feel the stress level rising in our minds and our hearts. And I pray that you would teach us how to... um, apply these principles and to immediately go to your word and go to prayer and to meditate upon Christ and that we would experience that peace that Christ promised us that that peace that is unlike the peace that the world has to offer us that our hearts would not be troubled or fearful but we would experience that peace that passes all understanding, that would just guard our hearts and minds in Christ. We pray this in his name, amen.